Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Community Exchange Podcast brought to you by OpenWeb. On this podcast, we're tracking the development and growth of the community economy by talking to the leaders in media, trust, tech, and beyond who are bringing it to life. Joining me on this episode is John Birchall. John is the Director of Editorial Strategy at Lad Bible. If you've been on Instagram, TikTok, or virtually any other social platform, you're probably familiar with their work. Um, for those uninitiated, Lad Bible Group is an entertainment brand and platform, one of the largest social publishers in the world, with a global audience approaching a billion. Uh, before joining Lad Bible Group, John was the audience and content director at Reach PLC. They're the largest commercial publisher in the UK and Ireland. On this podcast, as you know, we're looking at the emergence of a new economic model for the open internet. In our discussion, John talks directly about how Lad Bible leverages social platforms reach to fuel their growth and what's made them so successful. We talk a lot about authenticity, about community building, trust and loyalty, about user experience. So that's enough from me. Uh, let's hear from John. John, uh, you're currently the director of editorial strategy at the Lad Bible Group. So to kick things off, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your role at Lab Bible Group. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, so I first came into the industry as a journalist, uh, trained as a journalist at university, uh, originally from Warrington in the northwest of England, um, became a reporter for Goal.com, the football website, back in 2011, 2012. Um, worked as a journalist there for some time then moved into kind of more of an editing role, uh, became deputy editor at Goal, and then eventually moved on to uh, Man United uh, up in Manchester, spent a good year there working across the kind of commercial editorial media teams, and then eventually moved to Reach PLC, it was Trinity Mirror, as was um, largest digital publisher in the UK, um, leading the sports team there. So originally on the regional side of the business and then eventually with the, the national titles as well. So I did that until, yeah, last year. Um, and then I moved over to Lab Bible Group in April 2022, uh, end of April 2022. And yeah, I've been here been here since, uh, working with our, our web teams, our owned and operated platforms across the group. Um, and yeah, absolutely loving it. That's great. Um, and Alex, you're you're um, our UK supply lead here at OpenWeb. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background um, and what you do with us here at OpenWeb? Yeah, for sure. My name's Alex Pecos Wheeler. I'm based in our London office. Um, I joined OpenWeb by acquisition about a year and a half ago. Uh, previously, I had been working at Adulite for over eight years, uh, working with all kinds of publishers. You know, uh, whether that's regional titles like Reach. Uh, and national titles um, and uh, in the digital advertising space. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, both of you. Um, so, John, um, Lab Bible describes itself as one of the world's biggest social publishers. This is something I saw a few times as we were doing the research for this episode. Um, can you start by telling us what is a social publisher in your definition? Sure. It's a reflection of our audiences fundamentally and our products and kind of the content that we serve to those audiences. But effectively, we try and reach millennials, Gen Z, increasingly Gen Alpha, um, all people who are living in a society uh, in which social media plays a kind of fundamental role in how people consume media, how they think and, and how they live their lives. 
Um, so we have just shy of 400 million followers across our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Um, content reaches billions of people across social media a month. So what's exciting for us is what we do and how we see it is evolving. So in my area of the business, for instance, we all we have traditionally been a social media publisher. The vast majority of our audience has come through social. One of the reasons I joined the business is to try and evolve that to reach that social generation of audience, so to speak, in other ways. So be that through search, SEO, direct audiences. Um, and that's where we're also seeing significant revenue growth. So very proud of being a social publisher, but we're not necessarily confined by it. Yeah. Um, Alex, anything you, I see you kind of. <laughs> yeah, well, it's quite interesting that you were talking about kind of diversifying away from social. I, I would guess just digging into that, how do you find building communities on social compared to other platforms? Um, different challenges, different opportunities, different challenges. Obviously, the kind of the platforms that we work with and have, have great relationships with typically the communities live on those on those platforms and we are really trying to be a part of those conversations, make make ourselves a community for people. You know, we like to think that the audiences across our different brands, be it Sport Bible or Unilad, they are communities in and of themselves. They respond to different types of content in different ways. They are distinct. I think one of the advantages that we see in terms of building community on our owned and operated platforms on our websites um, is we're able to control the narrative, I suppose, a little bit more. We're able to kind of lead the conversation um, as opposed to where on, on social, we're obviously sharing those platforms with many other publishers, people, individuals, companies. So um, different challenges, but community is kind of at the heart of, of both of those things. It's having a real understanding and knowledge and care of of that community and, and then providing content and engaging in slightly different ways, but fundamentally with, with those people at the heart of it. Mm. And you know, as we as we sit here today, um, we're just a few days after the announcement um, uh, where Twitter has sort of begun to throttle, um, or X, sorry, has begun to to throttle traffic to news sites. Um, we've seen recently Meta, um, Nick's Canadian News. This is something they did in Australia years back. Um, Google has recently announced uh, that they will be you know, enhancing quote unquote search results with generative AI through BARD, um, kind of answering users' questions rather than sending them to a website. Um, these platforms that Lad Bible, um, is, you know, lives on for the most part, um, I think from our perspective has, has shown itself to be, let's say, um, a fair weather friend, maybe. <laughs> um, so I wonder, uh, and, and I, we hear that from a lot of publishers and that they that they feel this way. Um, so I wonder, it's kind of interesting to hear the, the maybe the other side of the coin. Um, what's your take on that? I think fundamentally, we, as with any other kind of publisher in the space, be it a, a social publisher like us, a more traditional media publisher, like a newspaper group, it, we will fundamentally be led by the audience. You know, I joined the industry at a time where um, the print to digital revolution was was happening and I spent time in a lot of newsrooms at, at Reach and kind of became part of that revolution, I suppose, in, in publishing where 
from print and from newspapers to to websites, digital to the kind of the start of this kind of social approach to news and to media coverage. Fundamentally, our approach is that we will work with our audiences and go where our audiences want to be. I think what that creates for us is a challenge, but also an opportunity in terms of making sure that our platforms in and of themselves are as as important, as engaging as part of their lives as a Facebook, an Instagram, a, a TikTok, and creating content that, that services those needs. You know, I think you can look at many different publishers who have tied themselves a little too tightly, perhaps, to, to platforms and have tried to create content that the platforms like. For us, it's making sure that it's the audiences that are kind of determining that. And if you can build good content, build good relationships with, with those users, they'll spend time with you on lots of different platforms, be that scrolling through your TikTok videos, reading long-form articles on your website, watching our YouTube channel. Um, I think it's about giving your audience as many opportunities to spend time and engage with you as possible. So it's just part of that mix as we see it. And um, do you still see these platforms as ultimately feeding traffic and, and uh, audience to your ONO? Or do you definitely, do you see them as their own independent revenue generating streams? Um, they co how, Basically, in other words, how do they coexist? They're both, uh, is the honest answer. You know, we have um, a lot of success in terms of short form video and, and kind of on platform content on Facebook, for instance. Um, but equally, Facebook is still something that drives a significant amount of audience to our websites. And again, I think we're only able to do that, uh, Lab Bible group speaking on that from our behalf, is by having that really under deep understanding of not only what the platforms want and how they engage, but again, what the audiences want. There are certain stories that suit short form video and certain content that suit short form video very well. We're able to drive any revenue from that directly from the platform. But there are also ways of telling stories and engaging with people where being on the Facebook feed perhaps isn't the best way of consuming it or it doesn't necessarily fit into a reel or a Facebook story. And that's where our websites try and come in. And again, it's trying to create content possibly around the same subjects at time. Sometimes it's completely different types of subjects and different stories. Um, but yeah, fundamentally, it's a place where our audiences, we want to make sure that we're there as well. Again, trying to give them as many different options of stuff that they like. So the, yeah, the short answer is both. It's something that drives revenue in and of itself, but it's also something that we partner very closely with all of these platforms to to make sure that we're bringing people to our to our own. And, you know, that's very similar to some of the things that we've talked about on this um, podcast in the past. Um, the need to find your community where they are, find the affinity groups that align. Um, and, and I imagine that, uh, you know, given that Lad Bible is, it, at least I, I must be in the crosshairs um, because I, I get served the content constantly. Um, so I imagine that you, you know, uh, your team has done the math on this and um, is the editorial strategy is very much locating itself within um, multiple community groups um, across social. Um, and I guess, um, you know, given that, uh, given that assumption at least, um, what, how would you define the sort of audience niche that Lad Bible serves? And how important do you think it is that that niche is identified um, to the success of the editorial strategy? Yeah, I think I think it's critical. I think it's it's fundamentally at the heart of everything that 
we do and from in my opinion the best publishers do uh, and the most engaging publishers do i think for lab bible specifically we serve a number of niches and then the niches within those niches so you know whether it's lab unilab tyler sport gaming all of our oh, no, brands there are some weighty and diverse areas so for us it's exploring the deeper niches within those so you know we've mentioned community ever since i went to reach i've been kind of fascinated by the idea of, of digital community and i think especially post covid that's been accelerated where you know in the past community was typically defined by a place or a town or a city and that's been you know central to kind of regional newspapers and regional media whereas increasingly we're seeing online communities with shared passions or interests who could be in different parts of the world but they have more in common with someone who likes the same football team or loves the same Netflix show or whatever so we're trying to reflect and engage with that so um gaming bible is a really interesting example of that and it's been our fastest growing brand this year and I think rather than us approaching gamers as kind of one approach one homogenous blob or community where our team have been really skillful is looking at the communities that exist within the gaming communities whether it is certain games certain consoles trying to become the go-to place for them rather than trying to be all things to all people so yeah it's absolutely critical but I think any publisher really has to serve a number of niches within those kind of top line niches that you'd expect to see at at the top of any given website or channel. Sure. I think you might have just answered my question there, but I'm quite interested across all of the niches that you, you, um, that you seem to be engaging with, there seems to be quite a, a, you know, a, a Gen Z, quite a young kind of feel to it. A lot of, you know, that's quite, like the golden goose for a lot of other publishers that really struggle to reach those audiences. Uh, you kind of mentioned niches there and diving deeper into that. Which, is there any other advice you would give to other publishers about how to attract that younger audience? I think it, it it's twofold. One, it's, and it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but it's authenticity. You know, I, I, I've said this in, in an article or another podcast, I can't quite remember when, but I've been I've been in different companies or spoken to other companies where they talk about how they want to reach, you know, 18 to 25 year olds who know TikTok, who love TikTok and, and they really want to do that. And then they hire people who aren't 18 to 25 year olds who know TikTok and love TikTok. And, you know, I think fundamentally we are our audience. Um, I'm definitely one of the older members of the of the team. I'm 33. So, you know, it's, we try and build, we try and have people creating the content and part of those communities uh, who know it, who love it. Um, And then it's, it reflects exactly what it is that we're trying to produce and trying to reach and it becomes a more two-way conversation. So I think the authenticity is one. I think the other, the other key thing, which I love as being part of this business is there has to be a willingness from the business, which there certainly has been here to invest in areas which are up and coming and which are growing. And I know for a lot of businesses in the media space, something like TikTok, where, you know, revenue generation isn't and hasn't been as easy to come by as other platforms as you may, you know, may get involved with, may work with. But for us, it's an investment in where our audience is, where our audience care about and our TikTok audience has, has grown hugely and is, is one of the biggest in the world, if not the biggest, from a media publishing perspective. 
And that's something that we've done because we know, again, it's where the community that we want to reach is, it's where the demographic of people is somewhere they're spending their time. So we have to be there as well. Um, so it's the content itself and, and being authentic when you're creating it, but it's also making sure that we're ahead of the game and, and ahead of others in making sure that we're present and, and relevant on those platforms where people are spending their time. Mm, that's really interesting. I, I do see a lot of Lab Bible content that's really always quite, you know, it's always hitting quite hot topics. I know you guys do like a lot of a lot of work around mental health. When you when you do that, is that in that is that to stay ahead of the game or is that also because you've got a, a bit of a responsibility towards that audience as well? Because they're, you know, as you said, you are that audience. Exactly. I think it, it's a responsibility and a reflection of what the people in our teams care about. You know, there are certain issues which you know, I can point to the cost of living crisis over the last 12 months where we've actively been creating content around the challenge for people in the rental market, which is possibly more reflective of what our audience is feeling compared to mortgage rates, which is what you typically see on, you know, one of the big broadcasters or one of the other media publishers. So there are kind of universal challenges and subjects which we we tackle, whether it's mental health, whether it's, um, you know, period poverty uh, for young women. We try and make sure that we're coming at any of those issues and those talking points from an angle which reflects our team and, and reflects the audience that we speak to. So, yeah, I think it, it's definitely a responsibility that we take seriously, but it's also possibly born a little bit out of frustration in that these are huge topics that impact everyone. Um, and we want to make sure that our audience's voices are heard as part of that and, and they're getting the advice and the kind of conversations which perhaps other media publishers aren't in a position to, to provide. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, um, slightly different topic, but related. Um, you mentioned earlier, um, like as a social publisher, that on your site, on your Ono, you have a little bit more control over the um, the uh, narrative and over the sort of the uh, atmosphere and surroundings of the content. Um, obviously, on social, you kind of have to abdicate a lot of that control, of course. Um, so I, I wonder... Um, your approach uh, specifically on social platforms at Lad Bible to what we would call trust and safety, um, what maybe you also call trust and safety, but this might be as um, as simple as, you know, comment moderation um, that you maybe manually do on social platforms, um, things like that. I, I wonder, how do you think about trust and safety as a social publisher? So yeah, I, th I think it's it's twofold really. I think the the first and, and most important one for us is that you know when it, if you cut corners when it comes to trust and safety, it's fundamentally a poor business play. You know, if if we create con if we created content that eroded trust in our brands, it might give you that kind of short term spike in audience interest. But if those users don't return to you time and time again, there isn't a lifetime value in that relationship, which you know is the weakness of the kind of clickbait model of you know short-term spike but it kills any kind of long-term engagement so the value of a user who likes what we do who feels safe in the environment where they're spending time with our content are having a good experience the value of that person far outweighs a much bigger group of people who aren't having a good experience who don't like what they're seeing and, and don't feel safe um you know audience relationships so are our most precious commodity and they're very easily broken without the right checks and balances. So I think from a pure business perspective, 
it's something that we take very seriously. Um, I think when it comes to working with the, the platforms, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but we see the likes of Meta and Google as as partners. Um, they support what we're trying to do, and and you know, as their trust and safety measures become more advanced, be it for harmful content on Meta or whether it's expertise, authority, trust on Google, our distribution strategy depends on these platforms as well. So it's also true of, you know, the partners that we work with, our commercial clients that we work with, branded content campaigns, they're only effective when they're authentic and when you're providing a good and safe experience. If we were to have a have a platform or have a space where there wasn't that trust, there wasn't that safety, again it's it's a short-term perhaps win but you're not building that lifetime value which i think for any media business these days is is the critical thing it's it's that long-term relationship with the community that you need to look after yeah that's and it you, go ahead oh, very much. Oh, no go ahead oh i was just going to say when when we talk to a lot of um uk publishers about trust and trust and safety they often feel like there's a bit of a double standard across social and across their own titles, um, but they don't really probably have as much, you know, they're not not social first, so they, but don't see maybe both sides of the coin. I guess, could you talk a bit more about how you manage trust and safety within platform environment and then maybe a little bit outside of a platform environment? Are there, you know, different uh, different ways of tackling those topics? Good question. Um, I think for us, we can only control. We can only control what we can control. Easier, easier done than said. In that case, um, I think for us, you know, each platform has its own ways of monitoring things. Again, I think the the advancements in some of the technology and and some of the kind of checks and balances that a lot of the platforms have has improved significantly. I use Meta again. We work very, very closely with Meta, as you'd expect, with, with the pages of our size. And we wouldn't be able to see the growth that we have and engage the audiences that we do on Meta if we didn't take those things seriously and if we didn't kind of respond to those checks and balances that they put in place. So, yeah, I think it it's a challenge, I think, no two platforms are the same in how they approach this. I think it's fair to say. And I think obviously, if you look at something like X, Twitter, there's been a huge amount of change over the last six months. I think for us, what we try and do is make sure the bit that we can control, i.e. our own space, our own platforms, um, and our own accounts on those on those platforms adhere to our, our own standards of trust and safety as we apply to ourselves on our own operators. And I think that's, that's puts us in a pretty good place so far in that we don't try and stretch those values in certain places rather than us just because we think we'd be able to get away with it. We try and hold ourselves to the same standards, whether it's on Insta, TikTok, Facebook, or, or our own sites. And interesting, you mentioned in there um, lifetime value uh, a few times um, and trust and safety, yeah, hugely important um, to establish trust and to maintain trust. Um, I wonder, um, you know what comes to mind? Um, we, uh, I recently um, was able to speak with the team at Betches, um, probably familiar with Betches, yeah. Um, another social publisher who grew tremendously 
over the last five or so years. Um, now they are kind of, you know, I, of course, uh, and I, I don't want to um, sort of <clears throat> maim their their talking points here, um, but they recently had an article in um, in Adweek about this. I believe it was Adweek where they were talking about um, a bit of a pivot. So, of course, they're keeping their social channels alive, um, probably even more content than ever. Um, but they're also beginning to invest quite heavily in Ono. Um, and to me, just from you know my vantage point here at OpenWeb, that kind of user journey um, makes sense. Maybe you discover on social, eventually we bring you for subscriptions and um, <clears throat> you know a merchandise, even other kinds of podcasts, you know, um, whatever. Um, but really kind of bring you into, in this case, the, the Betches universe. Um, so I wonder from your perspective, what is that funnel like at Lab Bible? And um, what's your approach to retaining and the audience? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one. I think, you know, Betches is a, is a really interesting example. You know, we talk about authenticity of, um, of the content, understanding of the audience. And again, the niches piece as well. I know that, you know, Betches have done great work in terms of their, their brides vertical, for instance, and kind of getting into that niche of, um, you know, female lifestyle content, there are lots of different ways that you could you could slice that particular pie. So I think for us, it, it's a it's a fairly similar model and funnel in that. Again, we try and whatever someone's first vantage point of us it of us is, whether it is a video on Facebook or whether it's an article that someone's found through through Google. Hopefully, very quickly, people get a good understanding of a the content that we produce has served the need or answered the question or you know engaged, enticed someone in a way that they actually like and want to spend time with. That might take a few iterations, where you know the first time you see any new platform, you might not necessarily know what it's all about. You might want to spend some more time engaging with the content. I think for us, it's again making sure that every single one of those first touch points um, and then second touch points and third touch points are giving a consistent experience. So whether that's, you know, strong UX, whether it's good content, whether it's expertise or authority in a certain area, it's making sure that when people see it, they've got a really clear idea of who we are and what we are. And I think, again, once you've kind of built that relationship, possibly off platform, it's far easier to then bring people into into that universe, and then once they're in that universe, distribute people around. And you know, I think I think the New York Times model is a really fascinating example of this, where it's kind of been flipped on its head, where they've obviously used their brand equity, their incredible content, incredible journalism, to bring people in in the first place. But they also recognised in the last what half a decade that there's so many more ways in and so many more first touch points that they could have as a business. So whether that's cooking or crosswords or word or the athletic, you know, there are lots of people who may not have loved the New York times product as we've known it for the last what century, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other way ways into their universe. And again, I think that goes back to the point of being across as many different platforms as possible, creating good content and relevant content across all those platforms because really there isn't one funnel. It's trying to bring in from lots of different places and get into that to that same end point. So um yeah, I think it's like you say, you know, it's great content and understanding of the audience at the very first place. If you create if you create good stuff and give people stuff that they like and want to come back to time and time again, it 
makes that conversion an awful lot easier. Well, so uh, talking about, again, about these, the, the various social platforms and the funnel, um, uh, what are, I guess the question would be, what are some of the challenges that you face having uh, so many different channels? Um, and do you have sort of like a different editorial or content strategy by channel? Do you tend to sort of use the same content across channels and repackage it? How much repackaging is needed? Are there independent streams for, in, for different channels? Kind of just wondering a bit about that, how that works. Yeah, so we, each platform certainly requires its own strategy. Uh, and we have the kind of technical expertise across them all. Um, you know, whether it's a, a certain post type, whether it's even the way that you're shaping videos, video length, you know, content length, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, each each platform definitely has that. Again, I think I'm probably repeating myself on the audience point, but it comes back to that. It's making sure that, you know, how how do we make sure that the the content and voice is consistent at a kind of brand level. So whether it's, you know, gaming Bible versus sport Bible, very different types of content, different types of tone of voice. Um, for us, it's making sure that that is consistent across all of the all of the platforms. The actual then method of delivery, whether it is video, short form, long form, imagery, actual article content, um, that's where it then becomes a kind of more technical question of what, what works best, what the audiences engage with best on any given platform. But fundamentally, it's that first conversation around what is the content, what is the content, I suppose, how is that delivered? What is the story that we're trying to tell and making sure that that's relevant? That for me is is as if not more important than some of the more technical questions of making sure that images are lined or, or whatever it is. Because fundamentally, you could have the perfectly executed technical expertise around a certain post, but if people don't like the content or don't engage with the content, um, you're on a bit of a hiding to nothing. I guess across across all those formats that you've just mentioned as well, and across all those platforms, is there a, a trend you're seeing in in what content is working the best? Is it long form video? Is it you know, is it, is it increasingly shorter form? We've seen a lot of growth in short form video um, over the last twelve months. But again, I don't think there's any one that's kind of winning out. We're, we're genuinely seeing growth in in all areas um, from a year on year perspective. I think, yeah, short form is doing very, very well. And obviously there are certain industry trends that have kind of led towards that. Obviously TikTok and the responses to TikTok from other platforms have kind of led to that. But then we've also seen, perhaps unusually for, for a youth publisher, a social publisher, some of our long form content is in incredible growth. If you look at, say, our Minutes With series on, on YouTube that our originals teams create, you know, we'll have videos up to... 30, 45 minutes long that people are spending a lot of time engaging with. So yeah, there, there are certain trends against certain platforms and in different areas, but fundamentally, um, again, it comes back to that question. It, it's more the, the content itself and the best way of telling that story. Sometimes we might take a 30 minute long video and clip it up in lots of different ways to be served best on, on Instagram or on TikTok, for instance. But yeah, fundamentally it's, it's the content choice and the story that you're telling that that wins out in the end i think okay cool yeah i mean we talk to a lot of publishers and you know and all of them seem to be video first as their kind of trend in the way that they're going is you know and i think there's a lot of discussion between long form and short form 
and you know the longer that you know the just basic on a on a uh, hosting cost i mean if you're going to have longer form content you're going to really push that it's, it's quite a big you know it's quite a big uh, venture to go on as a business so a lot of people you know deciding between short form long form but you know something yeah, I mean, I, oh, go ahead, there, there are also kind of commercial imperatives behind each you know there are certain partners that we work with who want possibly that deeper more lean back experience uh and have their you know whether it's branded content or their products aligned to that kind of content there are others who perhaps are focusing more of that and focusing more on that instagram tiktok audience and want to reach them and that kind of speaks to our branded content as well you know we we try and create content whether it's long form video short form display um we try and make sure that the content aligns with what our commercial partners are looking for at the same time. So I think there are obviously audience and engagement decisions behind all of these choices that we make. But then we also have very good commercial relationships through our 360 team, which helps to guide to make sure that the content and the message that any potential advertiser or partner wants matches and fits as well. And and that's where different formats and different platforms come in very handy as well. Mm. And I mean, and then do you, this is another question across all these platforms as well. I mean, do you match the same people in any way? You, you know, obviously you've got, you know, your Twitter audience, your Facebook audience, but these could quite well be the same person in every instance, just on different platforms. Is there a way that you might be trying to match them across the internet? I mean, it's, I think it's the million dollar question, you know, with first party um, and, and kind of the degradation of third party cookies. I think it's something that we're, we're looking at along with everyone else in the industry. I think a way that we can more effectively track those relationships is, yeah, it's very much kind of front of our thinking. We obviously see certain spikes and, and certain demographics and certain cohorts of audience kind of move from one place to another, but yeah, I, I don't think it's any great secret that it's something that we're all trying to wrestle with in the industry in terms of how can we try and, again, own that space and own that relationship a little bit more. Um, again, it will help us to understand our audiences more. It will help to us provide them content that they really care about, content that's more relevant to them across platforms. So, yeah, how we move people around those different platforms and, and that universe is um something that we're thinking a lot about yeah the virtuous circle absolutely <laughs> um well you know you uh before your role as you said before at lab bible you're at reach plc uh more of a traditional publisher um we've been talking a lot about the various different social platforms catering to different audiences developing different content streams um i wonder how did how does it compare um, being in, you know, these two different environments, we at open web tend to work, um, uh, mostly with these sorts of uh, traditional publishers. Of course, I mentioned we're working with Betches, so we work with all kinds of different publishers. Um, however, you know, uh, we do hear a lot, some of those sentiments I was, uh, kind of relaying in the beginning about a general, perhaps distrust brewing between social platforms and publishers, um, hard to blame them from my perspective. Um, I wonder, did you see that at Reach PLC? Um, and, and overall, how do, how do the how do the two roles compare? How do the two worlds compare? There are there are a lot of similarities. Um, you know, I think any any media publisher, any frankly any D two C business is wrestling with the same questions of growth at scale, 
while trying to maintain those deeper relationships that drive that lifetime value that I've spoken about. I think I think one thing that I found to be hugely positive in my role at, at LAD com- compared to perhaps other publishers that I've worked with or other businesses, there's a very tight, and I've just referenced it, but a very tight and transparent relationship between the editorial and content side of the business and the commercial and partnership side of the business. Um, I think it forces us from a content side to consider how we can be an effective partner for our clients while at the same time maintaining what it is that makes our audiences love the content that we do. So, you know, that lies into the, the kind of authenticity and values that I've spoken about in terms of building and maintaining that that relationship. I think in other publishers, um, kind of perhaps mainstream media publications that have had kind of had a long legacy. I think one of the challenges that they're having is is really wrestling with what is that ideal commercial model? Is it a subscription model? Is it a paid for content? Is it a combination of the two? I genuinely don't think that there is a a right answer across the board. I think each public each publisher and each business is different. I think it really depends on the kind of audience relationship. I think it depends on the type of content mix. But yeah, I think there are lots of similarities that the the big difference for me that I found at LAD, and again, I think it's one of the things that that has helped to grow the business very successfully and, and makes us quite a strong, puts us in quite a strong position is, like I say, it, it's being able to take those big bets to make sure that we are in the places that our audiences are also. Um, being authentic in those spaces, like on TikTok, you know, I think for some publishers who perhaps deal more in, hard news or don't necessarily have that kind of undercurrent of, of youth culture like I think we do and, and that knowledge of youth culture that we do it's perhaps harder um to really have an imprint on those platforms not impossible and I think there are some brilliant publishers and, and brilliant publications including ones that I've worked for in the past who are doing really interesting stuff across different platforms but I do think it's possibly a bit more of a challenge to to build that authenticity and voice for the kind of a long runway which obviously a youth audience gives you. For us, the challenge is kind of on the flip where we speak to young people, we're speaking to Gen Z, speaking to Gen Alpha. How do we make sure that in 10, 15, 20 years time, we maintain those relationships and we've grown with those people? And I think that's something, you know, Lad is now 11 years old. We still have people who have been with us since the start and still love our content. It's also how do we try and bring on next generation, the next generation after that? And I think... Yeah, that's that's true of a lot of media publishers. We just happen to be quite a young one, so we're in we're in quite early in that that life cycle, I suppose. Uh, last question, and again, sort of about the platforms. Do you find that there's a natural sorting between the platforms by demographic? Um, it, to me, it would seem like there would be. You've got your Gen A and Z on TikTok, and so on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know. Typically, Facebook reaches a slightly older audience, but again, it's the same with us, Facebook, X, Instagram. I think they want to try and reach as many people as possible and as many different audiences as possible. So they're obviously responding in ways to try and try and do that and create an experience which feels more natural to, I don't know, someone who's 16 and is used to a kind of more reels approach or a scrolling through short form video approach. So at the moment, yes, we do. But I don't think these things necessarily are static. I think Instagram's demographic is a fascinating one in terms of how that's matured and developed over time and how that's grown snap in a very similar way. So we definitely see differences 
But what we try not to do is make decisions based on where those demographics are in the here and now. It's more how we can see them developing over the next two, three, four years. Um, and again, making sure that we're agile enough to respond if there is a demographic change on on a meta platform, how do we make sure that we're providing experiences that are kind of authentic to any of the audiences that might find us through there? And uh, I know I said last question. This will be my real last question, unless Alex, you have anything you want to throw in. Um, threads. How's it going on Threads? You guys I jumped in, I imagine. Um, yeah. Yeah, we, we move very quickly on Threads. Again, it, it it's still really early days and it's kind of it's always difficult to tell i think at this stage i think in the first six to 12 months of any publish you know what's going to take off what isn't um and how you position yourself on those i think being present on there in the first place is is key and understanding that and really listening to the audience on there whether it's a new platform an old platform the same principle applies are we looking at the data? Are we looking at what's engaging, what isn't engaging, and then responding to that? But yeah, I think it's probably too early to tell in terms of whether it's going to be this huge disruptor or not. You know, I think back to probably 18 months ago, everyone's talking about be real and is that going to be the thing that is the new way of consuming media content? I don't think that's quite happened. So yeah, I think obviously with the kind of the strength of meta behind it and the strength of obviously the Instagram audience behind it, it'll certainly play a part in what we do. It currently does. Um, how much that then um, grows into something that, again, whether it's driving people to our O&O or whether it's something that's standalone and generates revenue on there itself, um, I think we're watching the space on that. I do just want to ask one more question, Mitch, because I thought, okay, um, look, UK digital media is... Uh, really quite London centric and Lab Bible have always been like amazing champions of Manchester. Um, you've been talking, uh, you know, a load about your authentic voice. Do you think, you know, being based out in Manchester, being based in different areas can help publishers kind of be more in touch with that authenticity? Without question. And I'm biased because I'm from the Northwest, but, you know, I think there's, there's two sides to it. I think one is that absolutely if you want to reach all people across any country, you know, whether it's north versus south in the, I shouldn't say versus, but whether it's north or south in the UK or whether it's, you know, east and west coast uh, in the States, I think having a, a good spread of people and a good spread of voices um, in the same way that we spoke about with age demographics, you know, you want to have a mix of people and a mix of experiences if you want to represent the people that you're creating content for. So, Absolutely, yes. Um, I also think in terms of, a, from a talent perspective, it massively helps. You know, I've, I've mentioned it in other podcasts and other conversations that I've had. Fundamentally, I was in the fortunate position that I was living up north. I was able to work remotely for my first role. If I'd have had to move down to London for you know, three months for an internship. That's just something I wouldn't have been able to do. I didn't live in London. I didn't have family in London who I could stay with. So I think both from an audience perspective, yes, but also from a kind of talent generation, um, it's really important for us. We have a London office. We have our Manchester office as well as others kind of globally. Um, but I also think it's something that we're seeing in the UK market as well in terms of from a commercial perspective, we're seeing partners and, and agencies become really active in the space up here. Manchester's got an amazing scene, obviously Channel 4 moving to Leeds has kind of helped to build this up. I think there's still work to do. But yeah, 
that's a very long and possibly passionate answer to yes. More diversity yeah. across the UK regions is only a good thing, I'd say. I'd agree. And it, it, no, it, uh, it lines up perfectly with what you were and what we've been saying this whole time about finding authenticity, building trust, finding ways to relate to your audience, like I said, in an authentic way, um, and locating yourself right in the middle of those communities. Um, obviously, it's something you guys do extremely well. Um, and I, I imagine that that's no, uh, no small part. Um, but, uh, but I think that's it for today. All right. If you've made it this far, thank you for listening. This has been the Community Exchange, an open web podcast that tracks the emerging community economy by talking to the leaders, bringing it to life. Hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. John, thanks for your time. And I'll see you, everyone else, on the next episode.